Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast. The show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds. We're your hosts, Helena and Claire. In this fascinating and far-reaching conversation, we chat with social worker Maurice. We cover a lot from talking about the creative process, traveling with children, his work with refugees, the Montessori education system, and much more. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we did recording it. So welcome to Squiggly Lives, Maurice. You. Um, Great to have you on. We thought we'd kick off with uh, just talking a little bit about, well, we met in the Caribbean and talking a little bit about how how you got to the Caribbean and your life path before that um, and a bit about your, well, your career and life path so far. Of course, uh, where to start? Uh, you mm-hmm. you started the question with how I uh, ended up in the Caribbean, right? Yes, let's start there. Okay, well, um, I think it will be a long story, but I just try <laughs> to give you the headlights. Now, in, time. I think in 2013, I went to Sintostatius with, with my former partner. Um, we were both guardians of refugee children here in Holland, and uh, she didn't really enjoy that uh, too much anymore. So she decided to look for a different job and ended up uh, for a job interview for uh, in the Caribbean to be a guardian too. Um, by the time I was very adventurous, I still am by heart, I, I guess. But um, I said, you know what, if you're going, I'm going with you. So we went there and we were colleagues over there and we uh, worked for uh, more than a year at the Center for Youth and Family on Sintostatius. So I think that's where the Caribbean adventure started part one, but it was in advance of when we met, of course, in Seba. But I think that was the moment that the seed was planted to come back to the Caribbean in a later stadium of life. So um, after Stasia, we went back to Holland. I became a foster parent worker for refugees. Uh, by the time I became a father of my lovely daughter, Rosa, and you met her, of course. And uh, after a few months after she was born, we felt like there sh- should be more to life than just this, you know, working, coming home, eat together, uh, sleep, repeat, you know, the drill. Um, and we thought, you know what, how would it be to live a little bit off the grid, out of the system? You know, how, how will it work? And um, I think I always felt a strong trust into the universe that if you really want something, it will happen for you in, in a way. So it, it was a test a bit, you know, like uh, I did a little bit of that trust before, but m- more smaller things, not like, okay, just dive into the deep depth of it because we sold everything. And um, actually there was uh, just before uh, heading to Seba because we went to Portugal first for seven months to live off the grid, um, just doing voluntary work in exchange for uh, a roof over your head and some food. We learned a lot, met a lot of great people. We also found out it was very difficult to uh, be a foreigner in Portugal and uh, gain an income. So we had to move back to Holland and already making plans of a different 
how you say it, adventure. And then uh, I ended up again for Centra and you family, but this time for Seba. So um, that's uh, a short summary of how I ended up on Seba. So it was for, for work. And, and still the idea was to live with the family abroad. So uh, close to nature, uh, not in the, um, in the quick pace that we live here in the Western world, but more laid back as it goes in the Caribbean and more living in the moment. And I think those were the main reasons to, to get out of the system and move abroad. And of course, I really, really enjoy the sun. I can't get enough of it. You know, some people say like, oh, I, I, I love the different seasons. Give me rain, give me snow. But for me, it was like one and a half years, sun, 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 hurricane in between. <laughs> but besides <laughs> that, uh, just nice weather. And I, I really thrive on that. I, I love the sun. I, I love the warmth. You mentioned, so you, you did this as well with your daughter. Mm -hmm. I can imagine, I mean, I have a, I have a three-year-old um, and I can imagine a, a lot of people thinking either, oh, it would be great to do see something similar, go, go away and live abroad um, with mm -hmm. my children or even travel with my children for a while, just do something completely new. Um, but then others might be completely terrified by the idea do you want to talk a bit more about living abroad traveling with a child yeah of course uh, to be honest i was really really inspired by another family that did a similar thing i don't know if you know them but it's the family zap there it's an argentinian family and i think nowadays they're already traveling the whole world with a family now of four for more than 20 years, you know? And um, I read a, I've read an autobiography of them. And it, in, I think it's already in the first chapter, they, they wrote down the most difficult um, part of leaving is uh, deciding that you're going. And uh, I've, I've read the book um, and it was unbelievable uh, how they had trust in, in life itself, you know, and, and that, if you watch the news or the television, a lot of times it's like, oh, there's a war there and people are hurting each other over there. But their story was completely different. It's like, wherever you go, people want to help you, you know? And I think that's in the heart of every human being that you want to help, you know? And um, that was really inspiring. And also it gave a little bit extra faith, you know, like to trust in the process that if you decide to do something, it will, it will happen, you know, and I um, had that in several departments of my life, like also work-wise, creative-wise, like many years ago, I wanted to be a DJ. It was a dream I had. And I said to myself, okay, just do it to see how it goes. I had my first gig. And from that moment, more gigs came and came. And eventually every month I had a few gigs I could live from it, you know, so... I already had some experiences in that way of trusting the universe and just go with the flow. But yeah, this is, was a, a bigger step, of course, because you, you had to leave your family here, uh, your friends, um, the, the life um, you're familiar with. Um, but still, I don't know, there was a big, big belief in it. Things always go how they should go, you know? 
So, and then you talked about going off grid and that being a, a priority for a while. Mm -hmm. Did that mm -hmm. stick and what elements of that stuck? Because you're now back in Holland after living in the Caribbean and traveling quite extensively. Did any, whether it's not, it doesn't have to be the structure of the day, but are there any elements that stuck with you from living off grid? Um, in your yeah, life? I think, I think things definitely change you know it's the way how i approach uh, my friends and my family but also how i prioritize what i do with my spare time or with my time anyway um i think before i left it was that you meet with people because you know them for a long time and you have to see them because they're your friends or family and um what i experienced in life abroad is that Wherever you go, you make new friends, and they 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 get a special place in your heart. You know, like I really had a lot of uh, how you say it. Uh, you were very important for me in that part on Seba that uh, that I had a difficult time. We didn't met uh, very often, but when we met, it was very valuable for me. You know, so so you 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 get this connection wherever you are, and. When I came back, I was like, okay, I think I ch I've changed a bit uh, because of the things I went through in life and just see who still fits in it and, um, and who doesn't fit and not, how uh, I say it, um, not judging people, but just see like what gives me energy, what not. And um, I think that's what I learned of being abroad, being completely on yourself um and witnessing that the best friendship you can have is the one with yourself and then the rest is extra and i think that's something i have uh, gained from living abroad and i still wear with me today and did that um you say you put it out there to have that sort of trust and that faith and that belief in um the goodness of humankind as well mm -hmm. did that once you put that out there did that always um, prove correct when traveling. I've, I've read this book recently called Humankind, which is about the inherent goodness yeah. of humans. Whereas in today we have this um, bleak view of us destroying the world and uh, you know maybe we shouldn't trust people so much. And there's quite a, often quite a negative outlook on humankind. Whereas I think that's such a beautiful thing to sort of put that trust and that sort of see see the good side of everyone and everything. And yeah, did it work out for you? Well, well, yes, but it's not all about being Mr. Positive, of course. Like <laughs> I also can see dark forces <laughs> uh, going over the planet. So I'm not blind to that too. You know, there is destruction and um, there is negativity. There is murdering or whatever. That's, that's reality too, it happens, but not on the scale that you maybe think it is, you know? Like I'm remembering um, a clip of Jim Carrey, I think he's inspiring anyway with his humor, but also with his view on life. But he also said once like, if you follow the news and you think that's how life is, it's a miracle that we, we, we are still alive because then you would think everybody would kill anyone and it doesn't happen like that, you know? I think. 90%, 98% of all people are, they have a good heart. And even if you see someone doing a bad thing, it doesn't mean they're a bad person, you know, because it's, it, it all depends on in which situation you meet them. Like they can be a, a prick towards you, 
but they can be a hero towards the neighbor of the or the other people they really love. So it, it depends on the situation when you meet someone. But in general, I think people are really, really kind, you know. I'd like to hear um, about some of your like work with refugees that you've done in the past and um, you mentioned the foster parenting or the mm -hmm. working with um, a foster parenting organization. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Like uh, I graduated in 2009 uh, as a Bachelor of Social Work and since then I worked most of the time with all refugees or people with a um, different cultural background as in the Caribbean. So it started all, my first job was on a, on a, in a refugee camp. So it was with children uh, without parents, like some of them, they were still alive, but they were not with them. So they came alone to Holland. And uh, I remembering stepping into the camp for the first time. I was like, oh, wow, what is this? It looked like, yeah, I, I thought, it, some kind of concentration camp, of course, without the gas chambers and whatever, but, but the, it felt so strange to step into a camp with barbed wire and whatever. But then I, I came inside, I met the first children and my, the first colleagues and I was blown away and I was like, well, if this is going to be my work as a social worker, you can call me every day, every night to do this job. I really, really love it. And um, then again, how it goes in life, if you say uh, A to this thing, then B will come on your way. And uh, I never was actually without a job. Like if I wanted to have a job, I always found a job and most of the time with refugees. And um, um, the funny thing I think is that before I became a social worker, I was uh, finishing my studies in Spain Valencia and uh, in my thesis I wrote down like like I cannot really compare fully but I now have a slight sense of how a person sh uh, should feel if they move to a different country and don't speak the language and whatever and doesn't know any people because that's what I experienced in Spain although it was still a western country almost nobody spoke English. So you have to learn the language, have to meet new people, otherwise you will feel lonely. And that's what I, I wrote down in my thesis. Like, I, I, I think I can now relate more. And then the funny thing is then that is actually my first job, you know, in the social work field, because it was never something I thought like, oh, that is what I really would like to do because I never met a refugee before. But since then, yeah, like most of my jobs, all of them, um got refugees involved even now nowadays yeah, i'm a coordinator of uh, a project for uh, refugees to integrate and uh, all the families that come that come to the village that i'm the coordinator of um i have to make sure that uh, the housing is okay that they feel at home help them um getting social health care all those things I, I have to manage with my with my team um so still refugees and uh, the, the nice thing about it is that you learn so much about the other cultures you know sometimes it's a bit arrogant i i actually witnessed that too in the caribbean like this is from holland so they should speak dutch <laughs> going to the caribbean they're telling people how to be you know i think it's very um arrogant you know because it's not our 
property anyway, you know, a piece of ground, piece of land in the middle of the sea. But it's also here in Holland, you know, like, oh, what are the refugees doing here, blah, blah, blah. But once you really meet a nice family, and most of them are really, really nice, is that you, you can learn so much from them, you know? It's not all a wahala over there, you know, if, if you're taking Afghanistan or Syria, whatever. But if you look into their hearts, we can learn so much from them uh, regarding um, friendship and family and being there for the others. And even if you don't have anything, you still share, you know, that's a very big eye opener for me. And I try to integrate that also in my life that if I have some money or whatever, that I look around me, um, people that are very close, like, okay, maybe I can help them a bit too, you know? So uh, yeah, that really opened my eyes to the work with other cultures. Mm -hmm. Especially nowadays, I think with, um, you know, the current sort of the pandemic and not having our restrictions of meeting people um, contained and um, just now that we have that social interaction back, like what can we learn from everyone we meet as well? Um, and we can learn something from everyone, right? There's no, there's no restrictions there. And yeah, kind mm -hmm. of coming back to that human element. Yeah, I hope it opens up even more. Uh, I hope soon, even quicker than, than how it goes now. But um, yeah, it's such an important element of being a human, right? To, to mm. meet others, to, to be close to each other, uh, to meet, to hang out. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, very important part of being alive as a human, I think. Yeah, we're social beings. Yeah. Um, and so how have you juggled all of these different things? Because you've worked in social work or do work as a social worker. Um, and I know you've had creative work, like life as a DJ and travel and um, various other work um, prospects as well and ventures. Um, how have you juggled it all and navigated that and chose what to prioritize at different times? I think it just is about going with the flow, you know? If your flow is uh, stay at this job for 20 years and be happy with it, just go with that flow, you know? And uh, my flow was that these things appear on my path and I say yes to them, you know? Like the movie, Yes Man, again of yes, Jim Carrey, just say yes to things that, that come and see if it feels good, you know? And, and um, like, I always loved electronic music and I started to produce it when I was 12 but never uh, dared to, to bring it out to the world just kept it for myself but I produced I DJed a bit and at a certain point I was like you know what I love music so much just bring it out and, and go out and, and DJ it was something that came out of me you know that that I just wanted to try and see how it, how it went and it went well and I, I felt very comfortable in front of a crowd DJing even it's not always perfect but even if you make a mistake you still can um, give a great set to the audience you know and I, it gave me so much energy that I decided you know I, I just keep on doing it until I don't like it anymore until other things come on my path and that's what happens all the time you know the um, if I get tired or something something else pops up because now uh, I'm not producing music anymore 
like I think I released about 30 songs, uh, also a few with a friend of mine. And um, actually, I think now since two years, two and a half years, and I didn't release anything anymore because it felt and still it feels that it's it's done. I did it, uh, I released songs, it got, um, they got a spin in uh, record show, I would say, uh, radio shows of famous DJs. I was like, okay, well, now I've done it. Um, and But why am I doing it? You know, is it doing, are, am I doing it for myself? Am I doing it to, to be seen? Um, do I really enjoy it? And the answer is no, I'm not enjoying it that much because I'm a person, I'm very creative, but I want to create something and move on and create and create and create. I'm not into perfectioning things you know that's not my gift that's not what i really like and that's something in nowadays electronic music production you need to do it all before getting a song out and uh, so i was like you know what i don't feel like doing it anymore i uh, i don't do it and then also the music doesn't flow so it means that flow is gone but when that flow went a new one came and it was writing so I'm now uh, busy with my children, my first children book. It's done. Um, the only thing that now still has to be done is um, uh, let it print and come to Holland and I can sell it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, But that was also a process of more than a year. And um, But like I said, that's the new flow that came, you know, that I wanted to write down the stories that come up in my mind. Most of them the children's stories come up when I'm with, together with Rosa. So she says, oh, daddy, uh, can you tell me a story about a doctor animal or whatever? And then I just make it up. And in the end, I'm like, well, this is actually a pretty nice story. Why shouldn't I share it with other people? That's how I started to write this book. And then you start writing this book and then other ideas come up because that's how it works with creativity. And um, a few months ago, I was with my girlfriend on Ibiza. I bought a really small book. And I, th- and I thought to myself, like, you know what? It would be nice to also do some poetry. So now every now and then I write a poem down in the book and I already uh, envision it being, um, I say it, a, a little poem book in the end of, uh, with 50 poems, something like that. So that flows now with the writing um, besides doing social work because uh, that's now... And now I'm going back to the to the question, how to do it all at the same time. And like I said, it's all about flow. But I also try to see how it is if you want to force it. You know, like when I was living in Portugal for three months, we were living close to the beach. And every day I did something creative. And by the time I was working on a music album that I never finished, but still I made a lot of music. But I liked a part of it, but I also realized I really miss a team around me, a team of colleagues, you know, to have fun with, um, to, to share thoughts with, um, to help each other. So I found out, like, I, I don't want to be this solistic person making music um, in the house, sitting alone behind my computer. I want to do, if I do it, it's just a part of my day, but not as of as a job. So that's something I figured out in Portugal. And that's when I realized, you know, just give me a job in social work. I will be happy with it. And then the creative creativity can live 
next to it in other projects. And that's how it still now goes. Like I work for 32 hours. And besides that, I'm writing a book. I also started my own publishing company. Um, that's also reg registered now. So I just wanted to, to see how is it if you make a book and you start with idea and you do it all yourself so that I also can decide in the future which parts do I like and which parts I don't like. Um, but I want to, to, to do it once in my life and, and see how it goes, you know? Amazing. Yeah, I find it. And, and just to be clear, I'm assuming before you wrote the, the children's book, um, mm -hmm. you didn't have, or you didn't, you'd never really written a book before, no. or you hadn't really done much writing. So no, just short stories, but not, not, uh, completing a story or a book. So where do you think, because you've you talked about flow and the creative process a fair bit, where do you think, or if maybe there's not a balance, because there's a lot, and I, I, can, I can do this a lot, if I'm starting something, I'll go away and I'll want to buy the book or buy the course, which <laughs> <laughs> will tell me the steps and how to do it, and in a, in a way that can sometimes completely rob you of of the creative process and just not make it fun anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, where is the, did you, did you just allow the steps to just completely unfold or like how much did you, did you go away and do any research or read any books, do any sort of courses on, on how to say set up a publishing company or to start writing a book or like what where's the balance there do you want to talk a bit more about that process yes of course like it was the same with DJing and it was the same with producing music I, I never know where to start but I just start you know it was the same with uh, I wanted to publish wanted to have this book published so I thought you know what I go to a publisher I give them the story they will find someone to illustrate it or whatever so then I, I stopped and I thought like, what, what, what would really be the first step? Well, of course, obviously it is a writing a story and let it read, uh, let someone read it. In this case, my girlfriend, she was like, wow, this is a really nice story. And until today, she still really likes the story because that's the thing with, for me with creativity, if I make a song if, or if I write something, for me, when it's done, it's done. I don't like to look back on it or listen to it. Then it's like, oh, well, when I just um, get it into the world, I, I love it. But then after a few days, it loses its, its charm and it's done. So that means for me then um, I don't want to do anything with it anymore. But she, she still likes it. And um, uh, so I thought, okay, first I get this story on paper. And then I was like, you know, I don't have to invent everything myself because that's also what I learned in life. It's not about um finding it out all by yourself because other people they've done it before you so someone that i know for a long time in, in my life he published a children's book so i just approached him like hey how was life uh, you wrote this book how did it went and how did you start you know just uh, reaching out to others with experience and he said you know what if i would do it now again i would do it myself i would publish it myself um he didn't tell me told me how but he just said I would do it myself you know you can keep the profit for yourself uh, it costs you a lot of money if you let it do someone else and it's not 
um, I say it, it's not about the profit, but how he told me it was like, um, it was not very beneficial to, to have it published by, uh, by a local publisher, you know, like if it's a big publisher, of course, that would be a different story, but you have to start somewhere. So then I was like, you know, he, he told me that and I was like, okay, then I will see what, what it's, what it needs to, to start your own publishing company. And it just, I don't know. I, I didn't really look it up. I just thought like, what would be um, a logical step, you know, to do it first is register with a name that you think is um, catchy and that you think that, that looks well on the book. Uh, and then again, everything will roll. It come um, on your path. And, but it's very important to reach out to people that know a bit about it, you know, and that's, that's a approach of me in this process with writing a book, I reached out to people like, what would be the next step? Or what do you think? Um, so of course I didn't uh, all do it by myself, the, thinking about it, but in the end, most of the things I did myself, you know, not drawing the, the pictures of the book because I'm not a very good drawer, but I, I did make all the sketches of the book and I sent this to the illustrator. Like I wanted to have it like this. I want to have it like that. And um, so in the end, yeah, I think I did most of it. And it was just, again, go with the flow. If you don't understand something of Photoshop, because I, I, I'm not a good Photoshopper or I'm not good in InDesign. I never touched those programs before, but now I can manage to, to make a book in the program. And, and of course you, you do a little bit of YouTube, but not a whole tutorial how to work, just parts like, hmm, how do I make this picture smaller or get it on the next page or whatever then specifically I will look for that on YouTube and then I move on, make mistakes and move on. A little bit like that. That's how the process uh, went. There's so many valuable lessons, I think, in everything you just said. And I think a lot of people are just afraid to start in the first place. They might have an idea, but to then have that motivation to just start somewhere and to let go of this idea that we need to, if we start and try a new venture, it then has to, we have to be a huge success in it. It has to be perfect. We have to go on to be like a published author and, mm. and have like seven books out or whatever, but it's okay to just start and to see what happens and you never know what will, will come from it. That's it. And it's of course not wrong to dream big. You know, I dream big right. too, but you have to, but you cannot, be big at the beginning, you know, you have to start as a seed, you know, and just become this flower and eventually you die again, of course, <laughs> even as a flower. But that's that, that's how life works, you know, just just work towards this, this idea, towards this goal. And um, like I said, like, uh, like I said, I didn't say it yet, but <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I want to say? Um, yeah, I think if I, if, if I can uh, keep it, um, I say it, uh, it's about my life. Um, you know, I don't like to fail, you know, I want to do it good. So I'd rather first be good at it. And then when I know I'm good at it, I will go. But with this, it's the other way around. I'm now more vulnerable and just see how it goes. And if I make mistakes, then so be it, you know? So I think those things also changed during my life like being a perfectionist but also um set it aside sometimes and just um 
be vulnerable and, and uh, be open to failure, you know, that because also now with the book, I can have it here and maybe I sell only 10 copies, you know, but then I'm still proud because I made the book for my daughter. You know, it's also on the first page, it's, it's dedicated to her. So I'm already a proud father, a proud man anyway, you know, but um, of course you want it to, to, you want to sell every uh, book, you know, but yeah, I think that's the message for just be being open to failure and accept it and what changed internally when you said you've, you've become more vulnerable you've become more open to failure how did you how did you get to that point i think because i really failed in my feeling you know i was always trying to be mr perfect in all the things i do in my job as a as a partner as a parent as a brother as a friend but as we say it in Dutch, then you need to uh, keep up a lot of balls, you know, keep them in the air. And in the end, you, you cannot manage because one, one day in life you will fail and fall down and you have to get up. And I think that's what happened on Seba, you know, like my relationship uh, and my um, family um, fell apart, you know. Uh, so for me, it felt like I failed as a partner. I failed as a parent. Um, and I had to get up from that because that was my identity by then, you know, like I was before that, I was just me. I hang out with friends. I had some girlfriends uh, every now and then. I always had jobs. I always had money. Uh, so that was my identity. But, but when you become a father, then the role shifts. And you become a parent, you know, so, but I, I really liked that um, that part, you know. I, I wanted to give Rosa everything, not in a way like, okay, here you have a new bicycle. Here you have the most pretty clothes that I can buy because she got a lot of secondhand stuff, and I still do it like that. But more of attention, you know. I think that that's something I've missed sometimes in my youth because I had three brothers. That's how I experienced it. I don't say it's like that, but that's how I experienced it, and I think um that maybe would be a, a, a the the driven force to, to give rosa the attention she um she deserves i think every child deserves but then when that suddenly finished uh is finished because i, I didn't see it coming then your whole identity get be is shaken you know like who are you now if you're not a parent if you're not a partner and you're all alone on this small silly island in the Caribbean who are you and then I realized you know I'm nobody I'm nothing but on the other hand it's a paradox because you're everything that's I don't know how to explain it but I think I witnessed then that you still can fail and move on and do nice things and and create a new you and that's that's how I become the person I am now but probably in three, four years, I'm a different person again. And I just want to embrace that change, you know, become uh, the butterfly, you know, uh, after the cocooning period, but also die. That's part of life too. Your ident identity can die every now and then, and then you can redevelop yourself. I think there's so much there to be said about um, 
yeah, these identities that we hold on to in life and that we form for ourselves or mm -hmm. we allow to be formed for us um, over time and to be able to let go of them and to be able to embrace, you know, a change or a transformation and to, whether it's an identity in your career or a label as, mm -hmm. you know, whatever career um, prospect you do, or whether it's, yeah, other, whatever, whatever you are in your life, uh, um, you know, in terms of relationship or where you live mm -hmm. or, you know, what you do, or I'm a yogi, I'm a singer or whatever, but to be able to let anything go um, if it's not serving you anymore or if it's decided for you that you need to let it go um, yeah. and to be able to adapt to that and uh, we're constantly evolving people we're like you said we're different today from how we were five years ago and sort of embracing that uh, transformation and not holding on to this kind of static version of who well, we are it's nothing wrong with doing that There's no, a lot but, of good in doing that it doesn't mean that 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 also doesn't happen you know like that's what i can say today but if we would have had this meeting six months ago i would have said completely different things probably <laughs> because i went through other things again and that's why i'm saying like in a few years it will be probably different again you know maybe i live in a big villa or maybe i'm a drifter on the street you know you just don't know how it how it goes but um i did reach out to some professionals last year you know I, there were some issues i uh, encountered in my life and i was you know i want to go to the roots you know what is it why i i don't feel comfortable when i'm alone or uh, well i think that's that's a big uh, was a big thing so um i reached out for help and that's something i did for the first time in my life on seba when i was I was 33, something like that, 32. I was like, you know, now it's time for me. I always help other people as a social worker, as a friend, as a, as a family member. Now I want to be seen, you know, see who I am and, and help me. And that's something that started uh, on Seba. Then uh, a few years I, I didn't have it. But then last year I was like, you know, I see some patterns uh, that I don't like. Uh, I just want to dive deeper into it and I reached out um, again um, because I was like okay I still have it now pretty pretty well you know I have a nice relationship my Dora lives around the corner of me I have a nice house I have a nice uh, job but still I feel this 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 how we say it feeling underneath my skin that something is not good or not happy or whatever and of course i think covid also has a big role in that you know that you see it brings to light uh what's actually really happening in the whole world you know now we in the western world are hit because of our freedom got thrown away but there are a lot of countries that encounter this for centuries every day you know so we cannot complain but that's maybe also an uh and some conscious realization that, that 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 gives this feeling of discomfort of not being happy or whatever but it also was an invitation to, to reach out and, and ask someone to uh, to help and what i want to say is that one person she said to me maurice if you want to go to the core of how you feel because i already had some therapy sessions 
but I still felt crap. So I reached out, like, what should I do now? She said, you know, go into nature, be on yourself, and see wh which signal comes to your path. And that's the only thing I can say. So I was like, okay, I will see what it will bring. Uh, so the next day I was at my office. I felt really, really crap. So I went to the director. I said, I cannot work today. I feel like crying. I'm not crying, but I feel crap. I cannot move. I need to leave. She said, okay, just go and um, get your stuff together and come back when you feel better. That was the next day. But for that day, I could not work. So I get got in my car. I was, I was thinking, like, where should I go? Ah. I thought of her advice, go into nature. Well, it's not like on Seba, you go on Mount Scenery and be alone and watching the sea. It's okay, maybe I should look for a park or a small forest because we don't have really big forests here in the northern part of Holland. So I drove towards a place that I thought would, would have a nice forest, but then I drove past another forest and I uh, put my car there. And I, um, as we say in Dutch, I walked there with the soul under my arms. I um, walked in the, in the forest and it was a little bit cold and not, not that nice. But I was like, you know, I just go with the flow again, see what uh, nature will teach me. So I went to the forest. After 10 minutes, the forest was finished. It was a small one. I headed back and uh, suddenly I heard little squeaking noise. I was like, what's this? Well, I, I will, I, I have to pay attention. So um, I looked to the back of me and then I saw two squirrels on a tree. And I, I saw squirrels before in my life, but never two with at the same time, you know? And they were just chasing each other. And I was just uh, watching them for maybe 15 minutes. And I went you know, like, <laughs> They're chasing each other and you can say, oh, maybe it was for mating. Maybe it was for play. I don't know. But in a way it, it touched me and I was like, oh, well, this is beautiful. And I, I moved on and I, I saw a little couch and I sit down and I was thinking of like, okay, maybe that's the signal. Maybe it's something with those two squirrels. And then I closed my eyes and then I got this mantra in my head. It was last, it was literally live life live life live life live life and i think in a way that changed my whole life from that moment again because i always thought that i can create life you know and in a way you can create some things but people in africa they want food and it doesn't mean that it comes on their plate just the same moment you know uh, so it's about um how you say it yes you can create life in a way but on the other hand we're not the creator. And that's what I realized at that moment that life gives you what it needs to give you. And I think from that moment on, I feel more trust again after this COVID period a bit that it should happen anyway. Am I becoming sick? It should happen. You know, if I live long, it should happen. Um, if I fall down dead tomorrow, it should happen. And... Um, like I said, if you asked me this question six months ago, I would give you a different answer. But now, since that moment again, I, I'm more trustworthy uh, in um, a good future, you know, because sometimes it looks really dark for me, you know, then I look in the world and like, oh, you have to get this vaccine and otherwise you cannot come into uh, restaurants or whatever. And 
that 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 touches something in me. My feeling of being a free person is attacked in that, you know. So um, then it's difficult to trust, you know, to, because I always trusted and I was like, oh, I can do everything in life. And now that is taken away from me, and I have to get a different life view. And that new view is trust and live life and do uh, what comes on your path. Just take it like how I did it before, but now with even more trust because before it was you take the things that look nice and then it's easy to take them right but now it looks very sad in a lot of corners in the world um, in this period in life then it's more difficult to trust if things are getting really dark and in a way now i'm i'm good because of that i guess that new mindset just trust the process again it's a really beautiful story. It was really touching. Um, <laughs> I almost welled up there. It was really touching. Oh, yeah? Um, is, there, yeah, yeah. Um, is there an element of um, sort of acceptance with all of that, then with the trust, um, accepting what is? And then how does that, you talked a bit on it, but then with that acceptance that it sounds like you're sort of embracing, how do you balance that with um and that the yeah the trust and the acceptance but how do you balance that with creating a life that you want and um well I'd, i hate to use the word manifest there's a lot of that around but um it sounds like you at one point were in this quite I can do anything and if I put it out there I can create and manifest mm -hmm. this life that I want and it sounds like you did in a lot of ways but now with this trust and acceptance um how how do you balance the two you can you can still do both I'm sure yeah you can you know but you just have to approach it maybe in a little different way or do things differently you know like last two years with my girlfriend we like to go to restaurants and we always play games at home but also in restaurants you know people always like oh what are you doing how nice to play games and uh, uh, so we really like to, to move and go out and dance or whatever so that's not there anymore uh, but i love to, to, to have a nice vegetarian meal uh, outdoors but now in this time you have to look at it in a different way and do things in a different way so i, I always like to cook I think I cooked for you once. <laughs> so, um, but because of this period, you, um, I think now I cook better than ever. You know, I already <laughs> like to make nice dishes, but now uh, if I look at the recipe, I already know if it will be a good recipe or not because I know all the herbs, I know uh, all, all kinds of processes of making the food. So instead of going out and have a nice meal and a nice time, you know, um are how you say it you have to do it yourself and, and see what it brings and it's not like it sounds all nice but it's not that it's uh conscious for me all the time you know that's why i like uh, a thing like this that you girls invite me because you talk about it and then, then now you realize how things are you know it's not that i think of this during my day you know <laughs> so mm -hmm. i hope also people that are listening to a podcast like this that they um i don't know 
that you learn from it or that you see it from other people's view. That's what I learn anyway from podcasts nowadays. I listen to them pretty often. So, um, but yeah, balancing it all. Like I said, it, it is about accepting. Now, lately I see more hope again because I also see people standing up and like, I cannot take this anymore and um, just do what feels good for me. Um, and that's something I think that needs to happen in the world now, like not following blind governments say you should do this. That's my opinion, by the way. I don't say that everybody should look like, like that. That's how I feel it very strongly. You are invited to look at who you are, what do you stand for, and um, go for it. Like, um, yeah, a little bit like that. I would agree with that. Um, and I think there's a lot of then um, flexibility and again, adaptability with that. So accepting what is and trusting the process, but then when whatever comes along, sort of just seeing any opportunity there, like you said, an opportunity just to uh, further your cooking skills or so looking at yeah. things from a different perspective and then flowing with that. That's it, you know, and even now, like I have this book, but maybe uh, like I know, I don't know how it's over there or how it's everywhere in the world, but we have some shortages of stuff in Holland. You know, it's difficult to get wood, for example, or if you can get it, it's more expensive. So maybe tomorrow I get a message like, sorry, we, we cannot print your book, all paper is out. That's a scenario that can happen, you know? And like, I, I am so far now in this process, but when that will happen tomorrow, then I will get invited to still get this story out in the world. So then I have to, I think, look in other opportunities. So then I will make an audio book or I will make uh, make a digital, you know, for ebook or whatever. So every time you get invited to 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 look how you still can make your dreams come true with the the things you are getting in life but like i said i just i don't want to make it sound like i'm positive like that all the time because that's a process too you know because like i said i i broke down several times last years uh, and i had difficult times but it goes with ups and downs and i try to accept that more and also be happy with that you know but that's now maybe next week i will feel not like that anymore but but still the basic you know is is there the basic trust the basic being positive that's something i can fall on to uh, every now and then i guess and so do you want to say a little bit about your um route with montessori no of course um <laughs> when i was living on seba um we felt like we wanted to leave again like we had a hurricane it was really intense and we felt like we should move back to europe a bit more safer something like that uh but we already went to portugal so um we know it was difficult to find a job over there as a social worker that's what i learned for so then i thought like what is something i can uh, what i would like but also i believe in uh, and I can study from here. And then um, I thought, you know what? I always like, liked uh, schooling in a way, not all schooling systems, but obviously when you have a child, you have to think about the future of the child too. And what kind of school do you want your child to go to? Or what do you wish 
she would experience there. And uh, I was like, well, if it will be a school where you can be yourself and be in nature or whatever, that will be something I can believe in. And also I want to put the effort in to become part of school like that. And of course, uh, when we were living in Portugal, we helped with another family to set up a Montessori slash Waldorf school. So we, I already had some experience about what, what a Montessori school was. Um, so then I decided to do a Canadian study to become an elementary um, uh, Montessori teacher for the lower elementary. But before I started, I did some research. Uh, like I mentioned before with the other things like uh, making this book. So I researched and I found, I just emailed some schools in Spain, uh, some Montessori schools. And I said like, um, I want to become a Montessori teacher. Um, are there any possibilities that when I finish a course or whatever, that I can come over to Spain with my family and become a teacher over there. And the funny thing is three schools they replied and all three of them, they wanted to have uh, a video call and see if I could actually work on their school, even though I didn't have any papers yet, you know? So because of those job interviews, uh, they give me advice like you should do this, this study. And then if you finish it, you can come over to Spain. We help you finding a house and you can come to the school where we teach Spanish, uh, in Spanish and in English. So I was like, oh, wow, this is just the perfect new path, you know, moving back to Europe, but not to Holland, in sunny Spain, having a job, doing something new. Rosa can go to a Montessori school. So I was really um, excited. So I, I ordered this study from Canada. It was a nine month course. And um, well, like I mentioned before, we broke up. So that whole dream just flew away, but I already paid it. It was very expensive. And I started it, I was already halfway, I think. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's good that I did do this study because it can get me through these hard, difficult times and get me something to focus on. Uh, but then I, uh, when I came to Holland, I finished it. I think one or two weeks after I came back to Holland. And I was like, I now have this degree, so why shouldn't I do anything with it? Even though the plan was to move to Spain and be a uh, Montessori teacher over there. So it happened that uh, an old class, um, how should you say it? A girl that was in my class, um, she is a Montessori teacher now. So I emailed her like, hey, I finished this course. Are there any possibilities that I can teach at your school? And she said, you know what? I will ask the director. And he sent me a message. Maurice, I heard that you finished this Canadian course. Um, maybe you should come over and see what we can do for each other because there is a shortage, a shortage of teachers in, in Holland um, uh, for the primary schools. But I didn't have my teaching degree. I did have this Montessori course, but to be a real teacher in front of the class, you have to, to do this study for two, three, four years. So it gave me the opportunity to look into the classroom, to stand in front of the class, teaching things to children and see if I would like it enough to do a new study, to become uh, a real teacher instead of an assistant. So I did that for five months. Again, I learned a lot about uh, the Montessori system, also to be in the front of a group, but it also taught me that I don't want to do it. And then again, we talk about flow. It didn't flow that well. I didn't really enjoy it. 
some parts I really did like, and that was at one-on-one -on -one or one with two, and that you can do it in a small group because I like, that's why I'm a social worker. You work with one person and you help them and you give them uh, hints and tips to, um, to find it out themselves. You know, that's what I do now with grown-ups too. Like I can give you the solution. This is something you can do to become happy, but you have to be tickled to find the uh, answer yourself. And I think that's also something I like to do on a school with children, not literally tickling, but <laughs> tickle in a way that they uh, realize things like, oh, oh, I can do it myself. And they feel proud of themselves. And that's something I like, but not the whole, uh, a classroom with 20 or 30 children. I, I, I realized that um, it gave me too much, uh, how do you say it? Uh, too much comes, uh, how do you say it? Uh, Stimulation. Or... That's it, you know, and that's also what I realized last year is that um, I, 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 I go well with, um, if it's quiet around me, if I have time to think, then I can do a lot of work. But if there are too much stimuli on a day, at the end, I'm, I'm out. And after a few hours with those, those children, I'm, I'm completely wasted. So that's what I realized being in front of the class, you know, as an assistant, that, that I like parts of it. I like good education, you know, uh, but I don't believe in a system with very big classrooms. I like it more when it's smaller, more attention, looking into the soul of a ch child. Who is she? Who is he? What does he or she need to, to become the person that he or she wants to be. And um, yeah, that's my small Montessori adventure. I can relate to a lot of that, I think, with the, yeah, the working one-to-one -one and the benefits of that. And um, I wanted to ask though, the Montessori style of teaching, um, and you mentioned Waldorf as well. Um, can you say a bit more about what, what the actual style is um, and how children, what their learning environment is. And then also maybe how that might um, benefit them and then or influence how they, they sort of choose to live life. I think it's a very different learning style that we're um, not always used to in the formal learning environment. Definitely. Uh, what I want to say is that, for example, now Rosa, my daughter, she is on a Waldorf school here in Holland, actually two minute walk from my house. <laughs> so that's, that's amazing. The thing is, I think I like Waldorf a bit more, but when I was living on Seba, I, I had to decide what kind of study will fit me, not like which system I like more, but more what can I see doing myself. And Waldorf is more about all the storytelling and it's actually, it, you cannot do a small course and be a Waldorf teacher. It's, it's a pretty long study. And uh, I already know uh, the learnings of the uh, Rudolf Steiner a bit. So um, it would have given me an advantage, but still it would have cost too much uh, time to become a teacher. And in the end, it, it was not my, my type of uh, teacher for me personally. So that's why I came up like, you know, Montessori is something I can believe in too. And it's something I can do because it's really structured, you know. Um, there's all this material that's special uh, made for children to learn mathematics, to learn uh, about nature, about writing, whatever. So um, 
I think it gives a lot of structure to the children, but um, you also can be very creative because it's all with materials, all wooden materials, you know, so you touch it and it's about, uh, for example, with mathematics, you have these cubes or these little rounds because you touch it, it makes a connection in your brain too. So you make um, these connections that, uh, and in that way you can uh, learn faster or better. You, you, you remember it better than if you don't have uh, this uh, element of touch in it. So I think that's, that's an important part of Montessori. Um, yeah, that's about it because it's a, been a pretty long time since I did a study and that I was in the classroom. So I, I think that's what I can all say about it. I was, I, I know very little about it, but um, I know, say, in, in London, there are lots of Montessori nurseries and I've got a book on my shelf, actually, The Montessori Toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from what I've gathered, it's very like the child or the, the toddler kind of directs their own learning experience within exactly. within a structure so they get to choose various activities for themselves that's very important what you say there yeah like you can decide if you're doing mathematics now or language now or whatever and so you give a little bit more freedom to choose instead of that uh, a teacher says okay for the next two hours we're going to do history next hour we were doing math so yeah that's right what you're saying but is that i've, I've never really come across I mean, I'm sure they must exist, but um, Montessori schools for older children and how that would play out for, say, someone age seven, eight, nine, in a in and when you when you've got quite a big class size as well. Well, yes, uh, it does exist. It also exists for children uh, 13, 14, 15. We actually have it in the town I live in. Um, uh, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> Um, how that would play out, like how you would, how each child could direct their own learning in such a, a big class, like how that would hmm. be possible, yeah. how, how it's played out. Well, that's one of the reasons why I, I quit, because um, when I had this job interviews uh, on Skype with the, the schools in Spain, they were talking about smaller groups, maybe 15, 16, 12, whatever. But here in Holland, when I was in, in the class, it was still 30 children in a classroom, uh, not surrounded by nature or whatever, because that's also a part of, an important part of the Montessori education, just being outside, exploring nature, exploring uh, the animal kingdom and whatever. And I was still, it felt a bit that I was trapped in the school, uh, although I really believed in the system, but still I, I was trapped in this urban environment so for me that still isn't really Montessori so that's why I couldn't feel like uh, that I wanted to really invest in that school at that moment uh, although I do believe in the, in the method. Now is probably a good time to move on to the quick fire questions. <laughs> in one word what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you? love well said um what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible one what the one book that i want to share with the whole people with all people yeah like if you could recommend 
recommend oh. a book that you've read. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> in a podcast like this, there are a lot of books you can, can say, like from Neil Donald Walsh, you know, Conversation with God, that kind of things. But if you really, really would ask me, I think I will just go with the stories of Roald Dahl. You know, he has a bundled book with all his adult <laughs> stories. And, you know, life is about laughter, laughter too. It's about learning, growing, but laughter is so important. And I remember reading that book several times. Every time I just cried because it's so absurd. And, and ah, I think I would say to people, just read those stories too to make you laugh so hard. <laughs> That's what pops up first. <laughs> How would you like to be remembered? I think I don't really care, but I just have to check in with myself if that's true. Yeah, like, yeah. Like in life, you already are saying goodbye sometimes, like in, in the function, if you work somewhere or like I told you before, if your family is falling apart or whatever, so you're dying anyway, or your avatars or whatever. And when that happens, I actually don't really care. And that's an honest answer. Uh, so when I really physically die, um, I, for people that don't know me, I really don't care. For the people that are really close to me, so that's my partner, those are my parents, Rosa, or maybe even future children, my brothers. Um, it would be nice if they think of funny moments or touching moments, you know, uh, or that they think like, oh, he saw us for who we are. I think something in that direction. And the last question is, if you had to give someone one piece of advice or quote about finding your purpose, what would this be? I think it's a summary of what we discussed this podcast. You know, if, if, if I look back now for the last hour, it should be something with a mix of accepting what comes, go with the flow. Um, and do things you really like, or if you have to do things, just see if you can find something into it that, that you can make pleasurable. Like, um, I work at the bank, I had to make, I had to process addresses. Uh, so you had to do like 40 every hour. So it was like 320 on a day. It's very boring, you know, but then I was just making I counted things uh, while doing it. And just a stupid example of how you can make something stupid into something fun because I like mathematics, you know? So I don't know. You make small uh, challenges with yourself. or Like I said, just do things and, and, and make the best out of it. I, I can make it more beautiful than that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um... Yeah, again, some uh, valuable tips in all of those questions that we asked. And yeah, I think remembering to laugh as well is a great one, I think, oh, to yeah. 
not uh, take everything so seriously all the time and to just um but, yeah, but that's, an, that, that's an advice i should give more to myself also <laughs> like i said i can say it to the world i can say it to others just laugh and go with flow but i also still have a, a deep thing inside of me that says like oh you should uh, control it uh hey, you, you have to control things in your life and but yeah it just doesn't work like that so sometimes i can give myself that advice just 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 live just live just live yeah i like that well said and yeah thank you so much for coming on well thank you for the invite uh, i was looking forward to it for a long time so i'm really happy and i didn't know what to expect but i really like it like i like i explained like these are moments um, that you have to reflect on last months or years and of course you you talk with your partner or with friends about processes you went through but now you have to make a summary of it and see where you stand now and that's something i'm very grateful for for you girls to give me this opportunity to to talk about it because that's also healing it's also making giving things a place and realize Oh, wait i'm actually in a pretty good moment uh flown right now because that's something i also don't feel every moment so thank you for that too thank you thank you yeah it was a very touching and inspiring conversation and i'm glad you got a lot out of it and yeah we yeah, both did as well <laughs> thank you so much thanks for listening to the squiggly lives podcasts with your hosts helena and claire Head over to our website, squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows. That's all for this episode. See you next time.